everybody. Welcome back to Mavericks and Misfits. This is Jeff Lyle. Thankful that you have tuned in today. I hope that some of you are listening for the very first time. And if you are, we welcome you. Some of you guys are just radical enough to have listened to every single episode. Um, I think we're over 160 episodes. Um, I don't know exactly how many, but that's a lot of talking. (laughs) We've been doing this since um, right after COVID. Um, For you that are interested, Mavericks and Misfits originated because at the same time COVID uh, was happening uh, originally in the United States of America and in my home state of Georgia, uh, there was a lockdown. And at that same time, literally the day where Governor Kemp uh, locked down the state of Georgia, I started um, radiation and chemotherapy after some surgery to remove some cancers, a cancerous tumor out of the side of my neck. And so what's very interesting is while y'all were all dealing with the COVID chaos, I was completely not connected to that. I was dealing with cancer and going through radiation and chemotherapy and all of that stuff. And so when I, when I came out of that treatment, the leadership team I was working with at that time, along with my, my family thought it would be really good for me to take, uh, the extended, uh, time away to, for physical, uh, recovery. And so, you know, they held down the fort during COVID, but maybe a couple of months after, you know, all of my treatment was ended and my surgery, I was a little restless. God was speaking to me pretty much in high level volumes. It was a pivotal time of change for me, uh, both in my own personal walk with the Lord and what ended up being a shift in ministry. And, um, but I had all this revelation happening in me and for the first time and goodness, almost, I guess it would have been over 25 years at that time. Um, I had messages, but I had no outlet. And so I was just praying and really felt led of the Holy Spirit to start a podcast. And that's where Mavericks and Misfits was born. Um, It was literally born out of me being on a sabbatical um, from pulpit and public ministry, but having all of this revelation. And so we just bought a little studio equipment, set it up. And boom, here we are a couple of years plus later, and uh, you guys are still tuning in, and I'm glad. And um, if you ever want to listen to the archives, you can listen to every single episode. Um, You can go to maverickmisfit.com. That's in the singular. It's not maverick'sandmisfits.com. It's maverickmisfit.com. And you can scroll all the way to the bottom and you can even kind of, if you do that, you'll follow the evolution of this podcast because I really started out primarily just talking about the need for a blending of word and spirit, just like the first century church had. And that was kind of my main focus for the first couple of months. And then once the audience was established, most of the people that tune in have been like, yeah, Jeff, we already believe that. So what else you got? And so we just talk about different things in the kingdom, some of it theological, a lot of it relational, most of it very practical because my, my desire is for you to be walking in truth. My desire is for you to be listening to the Holy spirit and anything I can do to help you do that. That's kind of why we do Mavericks and Misfits. And I'm glad there's tons of resources out there to help you in your journey. And we're just blessed that you would consider us, um, you know, to be able to give that kind of speaking into your life, um, along with other voices. So thanks for tuning in. Um, I want to talk to you today about a verse that rings in my spirit regularly. Uh, most of what I do is connected to, uh, Christians. I'm not, I'm not a great evangelist. I do the work of an evangelist. I share my faith. I preach the gospel a couple of weeks ago at Antioch outpost, just gave a very simple, clear presentation of the gospel and called people to repentance and decision. And I think about eight or nine people committed their lives to Christ. I love that, but that's not really my primary gifting. 
Um, my primary gifting is, um, you know, leadership, prophetic and teaching, probably teaching and then prophetic, um, right after the, the gift of leading. And so what I like to do is I just like to speak into your life. And in all of these years of serving the local church, one of the things that I've recognized, um, not infrequently is a lot of people lack self-awareness. And what I mean by that is, um, these are Christians. These are people that have zeal. These are people that are sincere about their walk with Jesus. These are people that have some incredible gifting, but they lack self-awareness. And so what they don't understand at all times is um, the fact that they're zealous and gifted and maybe even have some revelation is undermined by their lack of how they come off the lack of awareness of their blind spots. The nature of a blind spot is you can't see it. And if somebody else doesn't show it to you, you'll never see it. But what do you do when somebody calls attention to your blind spots? And anytime we do that in the life of a brother or sister, it needs to be with the desire to help them, not just, you know, crush them and, hey, get your act together, dude. Um, that's not the spirit of the Lord. But there was a time when Jesus was leading in the book of Luke and really in the gospels, but this, this phrase that he said is from Luke nine fifty five, and James and John, two of the original disciples, those brothers who, because of this incident that I'm about to reference became known as the sons of thunder. Do you remember that? Um, they were passing through the territory of the Samaritans and the Samaritans were not friendly to the Jewish people. Um, they, there was racial division. There was religious division. There was cultural division. I mean, the, the Jews and the Samaritans, quite frankly, hated each other. And so Jesus was taking the disciples through a Samaritan village, and they, they rejected Jesus and the disciples. So James and John took up offense on behalf of the Lord. And these two zealots, they said, Lord, let's let's do our best Elijah impersonation and call down fire from heaven and let's destroy them because they've rejected you. Now, let me pause here for a second. Um, obviously, Jesus is going to rebuke them for wanting to kill everybody, but their zeal and their motivation at that time, this is pre-cross, pre-resurrection, pre-coming of the Holy Spirit. And so they're just operating under a loyalty to the Hebrew king who's just been rejected by what they consider to be an inferior group of people known as the Samaritans. And so they're like, Lord, they've rejected you. You're the, you're the son of God. And Lord, uh, the wages of sin is death. So could we be the executioners? Give us permission to call down fire from heaven. Don't you admire their faith? They actually believed that they could do it. They just wanted permission. But this is where in Luke 9, 55, Jesus says to them, he says something that I think is important. He says, you don't know what spirit you're of. Now, these are his disciples. These are two very, very close followers of Jesus. And they're operating in a zeal and a loyalty towards the Lord. And Jesus says, you don't know the spirit you're operating under. And I don't necessarily believe Jesus was referring to a demonic spirit. I think he's talking about their spirit, uh, the spirit, that innermost thing that's guiding them, uh, the, the context for what they were wanting to do was not in alignment with what Jesus was wanting to do. And Jesus told them, Hey, I didn't, I didn't come to destroy. I came to seek and to save. And uh, you don't know what spirit you're operating under. That phrase has always stood with me. And let me just go ahead and confess to you. Um, there've been times in my life, in my ministry, where I was operating in a, either a human spirit, 
my spirit or possibly, I won't even say possibly, I believe there's been times where I was being influenced by a spirit that wasn't God's spirit. And you can put the pieces together however you feel about that. But I believe there have been times where, you know, light levels of deception, all the, all the enemy wants to do is to get you off the mark by one millimeter. Because if he can get you moving in the wrong direction by one millimeter, given enough time, that millimeter increases distance. Because as you move forward off the mark, you get further and further off the mark. And so I've had people in my life uh, correct me and basically say to me the same thing Jesus said to, to the disciples. They said, hey, Jeff, you don't, you're, you, I appreciate your theology, bro. Appreciate your zeal. Appreciate your conviction. You don't know what spirit you're operating under. What you're operating under um, might be grounded in truth, but it is not in alignment with the overall purposes of the Lord because there's people involved here, Jeff. Now, listen, I think all of us are susceptible to that. We can make those mistakes as spouses. We can make those mistakes as children. A lot of young people, when they start getting like some revelation of their own, they'll start challenging their parents and they don't always do it in a spirit that is of honor, which God requires of children toward their parents, honor and obedience. Just real quick, it's, it's possible to obey without honoring because honoring is the internal disposition of your heart. Obedience is the outward flow of that. And so you can be obeying and be doing it in the wrong spirit. And then, you know, it happens in ministry at times, people with their God appointed spiritual human authority in churches. Um, and then those same authorities in churches, those human leaders in churches can operate in a spirit that Jesus does not approve of. So we've got to be constantly aware of what spirit we're operating in. And please don't overcomplicate this. When I'm, when I'm talking today, this is not all that can be said about the concept of being led by a spirit, but I'm, what I'm talking about today is what is motivating you? What's driving you? Is the way, the how that you are living, operating, ministering, communicating, relating to people, is that spirit something Jesus could say, I like that. I like the way you're operating. I like what you're doing. This is consistent with me. For James and John, it wasn't. And the Lord, and listen, imagine how discouraged they might have been or embarrassed when, when their Lord, whom they're seeking to defend his honor, he looks at them, he says, there's something wrong in your spirit. That's what he says. And here's the thing, he's, he's exposing it to them. He says, you guys don't see it. You do not know what spirit you're operating in. So right away, if you're humble, and we are called to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, more than once we're told to do that in scripture. If you're humble, you would say, hmm, I wonder if I've ever been operating in a spirit that Jesus doesn't approve of, or am I operating now in any way, in my marriage, in my family, in my ministry, in my friendships? Am I operating in a spirit? Am I operating online in a spirit that I'm ignorant of, that Jesus would disapprove. Some, oh man, I felt the Lord on that. Like, think about that stuff when you post. Is this the spirit of God? Is it consistent with the character of the Lord? Now, here's a question. Can we find this kind of thing demonstrated anywhere else in scripture? Somebody seeking to do something right. I'm talking to believers here. Somebody seeking to do something right, but doing it in the wrong spirit and God saying, I do not approve of that. Well, I'm glad you asked <laughs> because I'm going to give you a couple of examples. Here's, here's the first one. 
And I'm not doing a long Bible study here. I just want you to see how this can be played out. And these are admirable people in scripture. These aren't heathens. These aren't lukewarm believers. These are zealots. And by the way, most of the time, when an infraction of what spirit you're operating in occurs, it's because you're zealous for something. It's because your your deep conviction, the thing that's most important to you, is being opposed or nobody's seeing it like you see it. And so you can get frustrated. You can get in the flesh. You can get overly aggressive. You start leaning on the arm of flesh. You say it and then you say it again louder and then you say it again louder and maybe you're not getting the results. So you get a little edge on it and then you get offended. I mean, it just happens and it doesn't make us a terrible, terrible, you know, follower of Jesus. It just means, Hey, we need correction in this area. Moses was one of the first ones I see this in that I think fits the example. So Moses was 40 years old. Y'all know the story of Moses. He was a Jew, but he was raised basically as a favored Egyptian in the elite household of Pharaoh. But when he was 40 years old, he knew the Bible doesn't tell us how, But Moses knew at 40 years old that he was to be the deliverer of the people of Israel. He knew that. And um, he decided he'd start doing it one day. And so he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew and he killed the Egyptian. He knows his calling. He knows what was happening was unjust and wrong. How dare this, this Gentile pagan beat on one of Abraham's seed. And so Moses said, I am the deliverer. I know the call of God in my life. This has got to stop. I'm 40 years old. I can't just let my people be beaten by the Egyptians. And so Moses goes and kills the Egyptian. Well, that was wrong. Now, mark it down. Moses knew that God had called him to deliver Israel out of Egypt. But Moses didn't wait on the Lord to show him when and how. So... Not knowing what spirit he was of, he committed murder. And by the way, that was disastrous for Moses because he immediately became a fugitive and he lived the next 40 years of his life in the middle of nowhere, tending to sheep. Now, this is what's beautiful. That humbling of having to flee the place of his birth, having to flee the very people he was called to redeem because he didn't wait on God. He spends the next 40 years in the desert being a shepherd, but God did not take his calling and purpose away from Moses. He just had to get Moses out of Moses. And Moses ended up wandering, probably thinking he had never, he had, he had forfeited his calling. He'd never get to do it. But God just said, Moses, after 40 years of humbling you, you're ready to go back to Egypt. And here's how you deliver my people. Moses had the right idea, but he had the wrong spirit. Well, he's not the only one. Here's a snapshot uh, from the life of David. Most of you guys that are familiar with uh, the teaching and preaching that I put out there, you know I I love the life of David. It's one of my year four courses at Caneo Ministry Training Center. Anybody that goes through fourth year at Caneo Ministry Training Center is going to spend, I don't know, about 12 weeks with me uh, going through the life of King David. Uh, I've taught on it at uh, the two churches that I've, I've led over the years. And I just love the story of David. I hope maybe to write a book on David one day. And But there was a time in David's life where um, he about ruined everything. And I'm not talking about Bathsheba. I'm not talking about a moral implosion. I'm talking about when David was still walking in the will of God and he was on the run a little bit. And, uh, there was this man named Nabal, N-A-B-A-L. His name means fool. 
He was married to what the Bible says was a beautiful woman. She proved to be a, a wise woman. But Nabal, I'm not going to get into the details, but he insulted David by refusing to offer David the courtesy that was normal at that time uh, for people that were kind of protecting Nabal's property. Nabal was super rich, super wealthy. And David did him a favor by making sure nobody stole his sheep and nobody took advantage of his property. And then when a time for potential honoring of David and David's men, David just said, hey, can you prepare a feast for us? It's time for the, sh- the sheep to be sheared. And that was a time of festivity and feasting and things like that. David said, hey, we've been over here taking care of y'all all year. Could you hook us up? Give us some food. Let us celebrate with you guys. And Nabal sent word saying, I don't know who you are. You're in rebellion against King Saul. I'm not doing anything for you. Now, David was a warrior. And when David got word that Nabal had refused the common courtesy, David said to all of his men, everybody get your sword. We're going to kill this guy. And we're going to kill everybody that belongs to him. Um, David was a man after God's own heart. But in this moment, he didn't know what spirit he was of. He's, a, he's about to do to Nabal what, in a moment, what he had refused to do to King Saul for, at that time, many, many years. And David's about to act in vengeance. He's about to get in his flesh. It's almost like he was frustrated because he, he knew he wasn't allowed to touch Saul. But who's this fool over here named Nabal who's insulting me and my men? No, we're going to take care of business. So this big entourage goes with David up to kill Nabal. Nabal doesn't even know it. Nabal's getting drunk. Nabal's over there just being a fool. But Nabal's wife, Abigail... Abigail hears of it and Abigail comes to meet David and she operating in wisdom, humility, and godly influence. She disarms the whole situation. You, you, you ought to read about that. It's an amazing, I think it's first Samuel 25. It's an amazing passage of scripture. My wife teaches on this and uh, she loves Abigail. Abigail is probably my favorite woman in the old Testament because um, you know, she was a godly woman refereeing between David acting like a fool and her husband acting like a fool. But my point is this, Abigail came with the right spirit to get in the way of David operating in the wrong spirit. Sometimes God will send people into our lives before we make a very regrettable mistake. And God will say, you don't know what manner of spirit you're operating in. So I'm going to send somebody And I'm going to put on full display their wisdom, their abiding in me, their desire to help you not enter into a self-inflicted catastrophe. David, the man after God's own heart, missed it by an inch. He almost ruined his whole trajectory by killing and murdering Nabal before he ascended, before David actually got to ascend the throne. Nabal ends up dying, by the way. He has a heart attack or a stroke or something. Something happens to him when he finds out how close to death he came. His wife, Abigail, um, diffused the situation. And um, beautifully, poetic justice, uh, David ends up marrying Abigail uh, after Nabal was dead. So God took care of David's enemy. And then David didn't simply get a meal from Nabal's estate. He got all of Nabal's estate. And in those, you know, Bronze Age times, David also got Nabal's wife. And Abigail was very happy to be married to David after having been married to Nabal the fool for so long. But David didn't know what manner of spirit he was in. So you got Moses, you got James and John, you got David. Let me finish up with this one. This one is a a sobering warning. In the book of 3 John, 
When was the last time anybody talked to us out of third John? It's a tiny little one chapter book in the Bible, right before the book of Jude. And that is of course, right before the book of revelation. And there is a man referenced in there. There's only a couple of statements made about him, but man, it is a flashing red light to all of us. Let me read third John verses nine and 10. John's writing and he says, I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes who likes to put himself first does not acknowledge our authority. Now, here's Diotrephes. He's a leader, or at least a very influential participant in the church to whom the Apostle John is writing. And the Apostle John is saying, I've been writing to the church. He's writing a man named Gaius, or Gaius. And he says, Gaius, I've been writing to the church, but the problem in the church is that guy Diotrephes who likes to put himself first. The King James says he loves to have the preeminence. And this guy probably thought he was serving the Lord. And this guy may have had good foundational doctrine, but he didn't know what spirit he was of. So how did it play out? Well, well, John says he likes to put himself first and he doesn't acknowledge the authority that God's put over the church. And in particular that church, and by the way, that would have been John the Apostle's authority. And so John says in 3 John 10, he says, if I come, I'm going to bring up what he's doing. I'm not going to bury it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to pacify him. I'm going to confront what he's doing. And he describes that in 3 John 10 as talking wicked nonsense against us. And then John adds, he also, not only with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers. In other words, he won't let anybody into that church that could possibly outrank him outgift him and so he puts people out of the church this is a person operating in a blind zeal my guess is diotrephes is not some immoral wicked man but he is a person who despises the authority that god puts in the church and so he doesn't know what manner of spirit that he's operating in here's here's the thing do you know how regrettable this is this was a real dude This was an actual guy in an actual church. And do you know that his name is recorded in the Bible because the word of the Lord endures forever. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will abide forever. And his name is only mentioned once. And his name is is referenced in this terrible testimony of needing to be, it's pathetic. He needed to be in charge. He needed to be first. He refused the authority that God had put in the church and he wouldn't listen to any of them. And then he talked against them. And then when other people tried to enter the church, this guy was so insecure and territorial that he clamped down and refused to let other people come in. Why? Because he loved to have the preeminence. Now, my guess is that he didn't get there overnight. I like to give people the benefit of the doubt. You know, my guess isn't that the dude woke up one day and said, hmm, I'm going to find a church I can put a stranglehold on. My guess is just he thought he knew best. But the problem is, is that he had a bad spirit. And ultimately, we don't know exactly what happened to Diotrephes, but I'm hoping he repented. But if he didn't, ooh, not good. So when we get into a place where we're operating in a spirit that God disapproves of, Typically, what the Lord will do is begin to convict us. He gives us a chance to get humbled in private. I know by experience. Like when I've been convinced I'm right and God's trying to say, Jeff, you you might have some facts that are right, but the spirit that you're operating in is not right. And there's, you know, there can be. 
I don't know how you're wired, but like I tried to tell the Lord, oh Lord, I'm sorry. I think you must have me wrong on this. Let me explain to you what I'm actually doing. And the Lord's like, yeah, um, I'm omniscient and I know your heart better than you do. And I'm telling you, you're wrong. And most of the time, I mean, really most of the time when that's occurred in my life, I'm just like, okay, I can't operate. I sense distance between me and the Lord. I do some heart examination. I get Psalm 51, take Psalm 51 and get it all up in my spirit. Lord, you know, search me, try me, see if there be any wicked way in me. And the Holy Spirit's really good about meeting in that place privately. That's a beautiful work of the Holy Spirit when he will meet you privately, when you are inching your way um, in distance away from the heart of the Lord. He'll be like, Oh no, 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 no. My child, my child, hold on a second. Wait, you're one millimeter off. And if you keep walking that direction, a millimeter will turn into a mile. And so the Lord's really good about that. And so you need to re- like, you need to be humble enough, especially in times of conflict, by the way, when times of conflict arise, the first thing that you ought to do is get low and still in the presence of God and say, Lord, I know you, Jesus Christ, you prayed for and died for unity. So Lord, before I say a word, search my heart. Is there any way in me that is wicked? Am I operating in a spirit, in a motivation that is different than your heart? Like if you're going to be suspicious, be suspicious first of your own heart. And so what, what that does is it allows you to handle your end of this conflict as soon as you can and you address it privately with the Lord. And maybe the Lord just says, yeah, I was actually using this conflict to show you there's something in your spirit that repeatedly comes up that I'm trying to address. And then your journey is with the Lord and he just, you know, he mentors, he shapes you, he contours you. But at other times, um, you know, you're going to have to recognize it. Sometimes it's not you. Sometimes it's the other person. And when people are operating in a way that you have seen is complete opposite of the heart of the Lord, um, especially if it's believers, what you've got to do is you've got to play, pray for God to make that clear to them. You, you don't want God to, you don't want to be James and John. Call down fire, Lord. They're wrong. I am right. That's the very thing that Jesus rebuked John and James for. No, what you want to do is you want to say, Lord, you've humbled me. I've searched my heart. I know that I'm operating in the right spirit, the Holy Spirit with you on this thing. But my, my sister or my brother, they don't see what they're doing. So please make it evident to them that they're operating in a spirit that they're ignorant of, a spirit that you don't approve of. And then you bless them. You bless them with wisdom. God give them. I'm talking Christian to Christian here. You bless them with wisdom. God give them wisdom. You you remind yourself, God, they love you. They're just operating in a blind spot right here. Lord, restore them. And then you just wait on the Lord. And sometimes you do. You have to intensify your prayers, especially if there's danger um, that is coming from the spirit that they're operating in. You may have to up the ante in your prayer. Lord, I pray as you, as you godly sorrow works repentance, so bring godly sorrow to them. Lord, I pray that if they're determined to run headlong into rebellion, God, then I pray that you take away their ability to run into rebellion. But you keep your heart pure. You're not looking for vengeance. You're not using God to enact vengeance so you can take personal delight in it. No, our job is to recognize we all have blind spots. And at times, the Lord will call on you 
especially when somebody's blind spot is hurting you, you, the Lord will say, yeah, I'm going to let you enter into what it feels like to be misunderstood, misrepresented and mistreated. But while you're going through that, I'm also going to train you how to love and pray for the person that is inflicting the wound. Welcome to Christianity 101. Most Christians, you know, they pull back on that. That is Christianity 101. That's not depth. That's not like deep stuff. That's Christianity 101. We forgive as we've been forgiven. We bless those who curse us. We pray for those who despitefully use us. That's Christianity 101. And here's the beautiful thing. I'm going to just finish right here. When you're doing that, you know what spirit you're operating in. You're operating in the spirit of Jesus. You're being like Jesus. You're trusting Jesus. If Jesus cared enough to get all over John and James, Jesus cares enough to open the eyes of the person that is operating in their own bad spirit or their own blind spot, whatever you want to call it, human or spiritual, flesh, spirit, whatever it is, when we discern it's not right, you have to trust the Lord that, oh, the Lord says, yeah, I, I actually saw the spirit that they're operating in before you did, and I'm on it. Your job is to maintain my spirit in you while I work on that spirit in them. And everybody has the possibility of partnering with Jesus in this thing. So let's not be like Moses in his weakness when he killed the Egyptian out of zeal. Let's not be like David when he was going to enact justice on somebody that was a fool and a very sinful man named Nabal and David was going to take care of business. Let's not be like Diotrephes. Good night alive, man. This is important. Like you, you need to be careful how you operate with God-ordained human authority in the church. You just need to be careful with that. And let's not be like Diotrephes. Let's not be like David in that moment of weakness or Moses in that moment of weakness and James and John in that moment of zeal, blind zeal. Let's be like Abigail. Let's be the one who says, oh, I've got to operate in the right spirit because something here needs me to invest myself in it, to involve myself in it. And I need to reroute some that are blind operating in a bad spirit, but I can't do that if I get a bad spirit in me. Make sense? Hope so. Hey, listen, I'm going to, I'm going to fly here, but let me remind you, um, all of the material that we put out occasionally somebody will ask me, Hey, do you have any other messages? And they're only familiar with the podcast. They're not familiar with the church. They're not familiar with Caneo ministry training center. They're not familiar with transforming truth. I would encourage you if you are fed and helped by the things that I preach and teach or write, just get the transforming truth app on your digital device. Um, transforming truth is the umbrella ministry from which uh, Mavericks and misfits, the podcast sprang. But we've been doing Transforming Truth since 2007, and it involves a television broadcast here in my home state of Georgia. But of course, everything's digital and streamed now on YouTube. And so if you want 30-minute teachings, we have those that are called Truth Shots. Um, some people just like to watch rather than to listen. Uh, I feel like I've got a face made for radio and podcasting, not a face made for TV. But some people just prefer to stay engaged via video. And so you can watch pretty much anything I put out from the platform at Antioch Outpost here in Bethlehem, Georgia. And just know all the time, I'd love to have you come and be a part of what God's doing at Antioch Outpost. You can go to AntiochOutpost.com and find out more about our service times. But if you're just interested in the teaching and stuff, go to Transforming Truth. 
and uh, feed your soul. At the end of the age, people will be deceived. And Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica, and he said the reason why people are going to be deceived at the end of the age is because they didn't believe the truth and they didn't love the truth. It wasn't that they didn't read the truth or know the truth. They didn't love it and they didn't believe it. And so the more you soak yourself in the right spirit, like get your heart humble and open and just postured before the Lord and then receive the truth of the word. And when you are operating and abiding in the Holy Spirit and you are receiving the word, you will be deception proof. I have no problem telling you that. If you are abiding in the Holy Ghost, if you're abiding in Jesus, if you're walking in the Spirit, and you are in the Word, and you do that for your lifetime, you will be immune from deception. doesn't mean you won't have questions, it just means you'll find the answers. And you'll find the answers because the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth, and He'll never lead us astray. Love you guys. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll drop another episode of Mavericks and Misfits next week. Peace. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Mavericks and Misfits. If you were helped by what Jeff shared today, please take a moment to rate and review Mavericks and Misfits with Jeff Lyle on iTunes or Spotify. Your review helps us enlarge our digital footprint to reach more potential listeners every week. Also, please take advantage of the free written and video resources made available at transformingtruth.org. Join us again every Tuesday for a brand new episode of Mavericks and Misfits.